What happens when you take a redneck fishing guide and pair him up with a master beekeeper? Well, we're about to find out. Join our host Ken Milam and John Swan as they help you brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. This is The Hive Jive. Well, good morning, Ken. Morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm here. Oh, no. You're here. I'm doing good. I guess it's better than there. Oh, no. You know, I've I've been up since. Uh Uh-huh. Everybody can probably fill in that blank. (laughs) I was going to say. One something. We have this conversation. And then yesterday, I was in, I had, uh, me and Max went out and we opened all the hives up and we, and so Max kept, I said, hey, let's go up, check the hives. It's too cold. Let's go check the hives. It's too cold. <laughs> it's 74 degrees. Let's go check the hives. No, it's too cold. <laughs> so finally got to about 80, and it was about 3 o'clock. And, you know, I go to bed at 4 on Friday. Yeah, before you And so let's go check the hives. Oh, no, he sent me a text. Let's go check the hives. Okay. <laughs> so we went and opened them all up, and... One of them, you know, one thing I want to tell everybody, if you have or you have cattle and hives, use the little ratchet straps. Yeah. Uh, one of the honeybound hives, you know, we left the ratchet straps on both of those. One of them, the cows had come over, didn't turn it completely on its side, but it, it fell up against a bush. And Seriously? it was kind of partially... Uh, upright i hadn't heard about that no i hadn't told you about this that's what i was trying to come up with but uh it it partially laid over not bad and it was the one that didn't have all the bees in it either it was the short one and when i saw that i got up there straightened it up and i didn't have my suit on and (laughs) those are those are those are good bees those are good bees now when i found the the nuke that was the same way. The cows had gone over and and moved the the top feeder yeah, just was, a little bit. That was the one we talked about last week. Where yeah, they, they went in and robbed it. And but I didn't have my suit on either. <laughs> and those bees are a little testy. Not as friendly. Oh no, they're not friendly. <laughs> they're not friendly. Smaller colony uh, and meaner bees. Yeah, and they had been. Probably fighting robbers. Exactly. For so they, a while. they could have just been irritated, period, because yeah. things had been robbing their colony. So and that's very true. One one of them, she followed me all the way to the truck. And I'm sitting there, get out of here, get out of here. And then finally, she just decided to go into my hair. Uh huh. And she went into the hair. And I, she was, I was in the truck. She was burrowing. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying sitting to there. Find skin. Uh, uh, I think there's a bee up there, and I grabbed a, uh, I, I stepped out, and I could feel her moving around, and I reached up there, and yep, there's a bee there, and I got my uh, brush and brushed it out. I don't know if I killed her or not; probably didn't, but she didn't get to sting me. But <sighs> well, let's let's circle back here real quick. I know we got to let's no, talk. No, no, let's no, talk. No, no. Let's <laughs> circle back here real quick on cattle. So yeah. that was one of the things that. I think early on when we talked about like setting up your apiary, mm-hmm. the the hive location, you know, kind of how to set it up and what all to think mm-hmm. about. One of those things is, whoa, I don't know what that was. I don't Ghost. Either. Let me go. Let me go see if the thing's still recording. 
And still? Yeah. What are they working on out there? I have there? no idea. There's not anybody in the building. <laughs> all right, so that was really weird. Yeah, well, um, it's getting close to. I'll uh, I'll cut out some of the the <laughs> the silence and stuff here, but just so you guys know, like that sudden departure, um, everything flickered and then the entire studio went dark and the mics went off. There's nobody here but Ken and I at the moment. Eric had to, to cut out today a little early. There's some beating going on. And out yeah, there. so I I you know I'm the brave one or stupid one that is like, oh, it's uh it's dark in the building. Let me go see why. So um, the lights came back on as I'm going out the door, and I'm going around to check the studio, make sure everything is still recording bam, and, bam. and we're good to go. And there starts being like these very loud – the first one almost sounded like thunder, and then it uh-huh. sounded like maybe the air conditioners were kicking back on and everything was kind of like the metal was shifting and rumbling. Uh-huh. But then it just kept doing it. So then I'm looking – we're in like – this studio used to be an old, old aircraft hangar. And yeah, all of the original in the 1920s. Yeah, all of the original Earlier. timber and lumber in here is is the whole support yeah. structure. So there is not really any roof. I mean, there is. It's way up there, but there's no roof to be walking on to where we should be hearing no. that sound. No. <laughs> so and this place is haunted like hell. Well, yeah. So that was a little creepy. Um, but the the recording is still going. Yep. I, I can still see the soundtrack good. and everything going on it, and the mics are live now. So um, yeah, well there. It's the bees trying you know, to rob us. We're getting it's close. the bees robbing. <laughs> oh, getting, well, that was last one. It's a really big bee. If that's the case. <laughs> um, the uh, we're getting close to Halloween, so I guess it's just uh, sounds good. It's just making it. Uh, Setting the mood. It's ambiance. <laughs> oh no, no, this place is this place is haunted like you wouldn't believe. Oh, uh, so you know, hey, the the bonus episode this week, you guys, is gonna be scary bee stories. So yeah. uh we who knows, maybe there'll be more scary events in the yeah. studio. But um I completely okay, so yeah, yeah. So so going back here. Okay. Cattle. When you're setting up your apiary, if you do have your your bees out somewhere where there are cattle, you really want to be careful because cows they love to scratch. You know, they'll come up to mm-hmm. a barbed wire fence and they'll rub on mm-hmm. those wires because it's scratching places that they can't reach. If you put a hive out there, especially if that hive is on a one foot stand and then mm-hmm. it's got multiple boxes mm-hmm. on it, they will lean against it and they will rub against it and they can knock it over. Um, Pamela here a few months ago, she sent a picture where she has actual um, cattle panel around her little apiary in this one location. And normally it's all closed up, but it was open and... She left it open one day, and the cows got in there, and they knocked over one yeah, of the Yeah, I helped her straighten one of those Exactly. Up. That's the one we're talking about. Yeah. And they knocked it over, and the boxes were a little bit separated. It was leaning mm-hmm. against the back panel. The bees were in a very bad mood. Yes, they were. And they stung me three times. Why do you keep looking over there? You keep thinking you see somebody? Uh-uh. Because I keep, I keep turning my head and looking back into the other booth because I keep thinking I see something out of the corner of my eye. Oh, you always see stuff in there. A, you see well, the, I know there's a TV and there's yeah. like the reflection and stuff, but I keep like, I don't know if I'm seeing the camera and the mic, but I keep looking over there and then I keep watching you and I know Eric's not in there and you keep looking over there and I'm like, what are you looking at? I just watch stuff. In this place, you might as well. I'll tell you uh, some stories later. Anyhow, so... When we have our Halloween session. Yeah, yeah. No, no, absolutely. On our scary bee stories. So, yeah. but, so to your point, yes, if you if you have the, the spare straps, absolutely ratchet them down because best case scenario, nothing happens and they all stay together. It helps in storms. It mm-hmm. helps for large animals. It helps hold everything together. Worst case scenario, a cow or something does come by mm-hmm. and it knocks the hive over. Mm-hmm. At least everything stays in one piece, which means they may be at a bad orientation. They may be in an angle or they may be on their side. But 
everything is still enclosed. Yeah. And it's not exposed to the elements. It's nope. not letting cold air in. It's not killing your colony. It's just at a bad angle. And if you're watching your colony frequently and you get it stood back up, that's good. But yeah, I didn't I didn't know about that. That's uh that's becoming Something. apparently more prevalent here as it gets colder because yeah. there were cows out there when we first set oh, them yeah, down. They never they, with yeah, they never messed with them at all. One thing I was thinking, you know, we got them sitting on cinder blocks. Mm -hmm. This might be something I'm going to probably start doing. And run, you take three foot long or two foot long two befores and run through the two holes in your cinder block. Then you run the straps underneath that. You put the weight of the cinder blocks on there, too. Yeah. Yeah, you... Um Depending on how you have your cinder blocks set up, sometimes, I mean, you can almost just, because if they're on their side, I usually turn my cinder blocks on their side so that the hole is going yeah, through instead of up and down. Yeah. Um, and then you could just run your straps down through the holes just, and, and just, ratchet it down, too. Well, but, you could do that. Yeah, yeah. You could do that, too. It just kind of depends on how it's set up. Or you just run two before through there and then... I think in, in one regard, this is... I don't know really. You know how you had talked about using some of the the long lumbers and stuff where you could actually set yep. up your your stuff and then you Got have these rails. But I don't know if that would be a good idea out there because they if they're they're setting on a solid foundation right now that's a little bit lower. If they were up a tiny little bit higher but they're on rails, I wonder if the cows would still mess with them because if they do it's going to be even worse cuz now it's going to tilt and fall and it's going to fall and go boom instead of just lean over. But what I was thinking about doing is is going in there cutting those uh, those timbers. There's still there's still rumbling in there. <laughs> cutting the timbers and just looked up at the ceiling like what bury, the hell? you know put or put post in the ground and then attach those to that. I don't know. Uh, I mean, well, I just I'm meant if they're if they're up because the the hive would just be setting you know on the brace or on the timbers. Right. Um, so if they're up and and they. They hit them. Mm -hmm. If they turn, they could fall between the two timbers. They could fall off. Like it yeah. just—I don't know. That's or you—you you couldn't do that. I was fixing to say you run your ratchet straps all the way around the two timbers and all the way around the hives. Maybe that's yeah, the, I don't know. now. Now well, you basically we're gonna, we're you've tied, play it, with it. You've tied it all up. <laughs> y'all tell us how y'all do it if you got cattle. Uh, put cattle panels up and keep the cows away from the hives. I got plenty of cattle panels. I just got to but my, I got. But when you put your hives. Over 30 feet, do you put one around each half? No, that's when you don't have cows on the land. Well, um, when I go to Mason, I won't have cows. That's, yeah, that's and that's good. So today's episode okay. is... Question to answer. Yeah, we've got some emails that have come in here. Um, this first one is one of the ones that I sent over to you uh, mm -hmm. a little while back. This comes from Sue, mm -hmm. and Sue says, Dear John and Ken... I really enjoy listening to the Hive Jive. I don't have bees yet, so learning from the beginning as you have guided Ken through the process has been really helpful. I plan on getting two hives from my backyard this next spring. Woohoo! Mm -hmm. Always fun. That's always an exciting time, whoop, whoop. and as it gets closer, you get more and more and more excited. Um, it's always it's a fun experience. When you get your first colony, it's definitely a fun experience. So she continues on, and she says, I could use some advice. I live in the Midwest near St. Louis, Missouri. Oh, hmm. Missouri. She's up there near Lacey. Not yeah. quite. Lacey's south of Kansas City, but uh, near St. Louis, it's about a three-hour drive, three to four, depending on how far south Lacey is. But yeah, so be cold. So there, there is another listener in your general vicinity mm -hmm. that also does the same thing you want to do, Sue. Just want to point that out. You're not completely alone out there. Um, so she says, weather-wise, we have all four seasons plus wild times. 
when we use our AC and our furnace in the exact same week. I live in the suburbs, and I want to limit myself oh, to Texas. just... Yeah, I mean, we have... <laughs> it's all crazy. Um, so she lives in the suburb, and she wants to limit herself to two hives. Ideally, she would like one Langstroth hive and one Top Bar hive. So here's where her questions start. Is it a bad idea to start with one of each as a newbie, or should I choose two of the same, so two Top Bars or two Langstroths? Um, that way I will be able to compare and contrast two of the same. So let's. Do you want to tackle these one at a time? Yeah, I think okay. I would. I'm going to go with two top bars. It's going to be much easier for her. <laughs> All right. So honestly, you can do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. But to your point, Ken, if you have two of the exact same style, mm -hmm. it's not so much the compare and contrast as it is sharing of resources. So mm -hmm. if you've got two Langstroths. And one of them is, is a little bit weaker or falling behind and it needs additional bees. Mm -hmm. You can take a frame of capped brood from the good strong hive and give it to the other one. Same thing with the top bar. You can take a bar of good capped brood mm -hmm. and give it to the other one. If one of them is struggling and needs additional food, you can balance that out by taking a frame or a bar and giving it to the other one. So when it comes to sharing resources and compatibility, that's the biggest thing right there is the compatibility of it now when it comes to comparing and contrasting there's going to be some nuances like like a structure of a hive or a setup of a hive may be more beneficial mm -hmm. to a specific colony so they may be doing better because of that but all in all the way that a bee colony works and the way they go through and they do everything and they have it all set up beekeeping is beekeeping so Learning all of the different ways that they set up their comb inside a Langstroth is going to be the same concept as it is in the top bar, except you are going to have more drone comb in there that they'll use for resources and to raise drones and mm -hmm. stuff because they're making their own shape and their own comb. So you can do one of each and you can learn the nuances of each. And then you can like kind of when Ken started, part of the whole point of this was let's have one of each of these styles now, so then i got a flow hive you do you just I won't got put them. the I damn put thing together, together. um <laughs> but the whole point of it was to have each of these individual styles so that you could then see the nuances between them and we could talk about them on the show and help people learn the mm -hmm. different styles so you can absolutely do that you can go through and you can start off and you can have you know the the two different types of hives so it's not a problem it's more of just if you would like to do that go for it just know that if your top bar starts having issues, you cannot necessarily take resources from the Langstroth and give them to the top bar. It no, just won't can't. work. It's not compatible. You, you're going to cause more harm than good if you tried to cut things down. You've got the foundation in there, like all this other mm -hmm. stuff. It's just not going to work. So outside of that, outside of the sharing resources, there's not a problem with it. It is literally up to you. You are making me paranoid, sir. <laughs> Now he's looking over behind me on the other side of the studio. I just thought I saw something moving around over Yeah, there. well, see, exactly. So now I'm like, I'm turning around and I'm like, oh. What oh is I've that? seen lots There's of stuff. There's this creepy dude's this head up here above the TV. He's just on a stick. Yeah. That's, <laughs> anyhow. Yeah. Um, okay, so <laughs> back to the questions. All right, so the second part. Uh, la, 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 la. Is it uh, bad to have two bar. of the same? Go top bar. Yeah, Ken's going to say It's going to be bar. easier. Uh, okay, so also, top bar hives are not very popular around here from what I can tell, and I may have trouble finding a mentor. That's true. Um, and, and that can be true for anybody, especially if you're in a little bit of an isolated region. But she goes on to say that 
People at the local bee store get real quiet when I mention top bar hives. <laughs> and so that can be that can be a thing. That down here even uh, at one point in time. Oh yeah, they don't know what a top bar is. Well, and, and or if they do, it's like oh that's that's like hippie beekeeping yeah. or that's you know this all this other stuff. Those are those hippy dippy people. But in reality, it, it's once you're familiar with a specific thing and once you know a specific thing, it is really hard to learn something different. If you're very comfortable with the way one thing works, it's, it can be a little bit challenging. Here in Austin, we have a lot of bee clubs. The Austin Area Club is very much scientific beekeeping, by the book, treatment, everything is all by the numbers, by the book. That's what they focus on. And, and they say, science, you know, based on science, that's, that's their main thing. If you go over to Hayes County, Hayes County is very much all natural beekeeping. And it, it does focus a lot kind of leaning towards like top bars. In fact, Les Crowder, I believe, I've heard a little rumor, may end up being the president of that club next wow, year. that'd be fun. So, so that kind of gives you an idea of how that club focuses, right? Well, the club that I'm the president of here for Travis County in the Austin area, we're literally between these two clubs. And I, just like I talk on the show, I try to be more like beekeeping is beekeeping. So let's teach you the basics and then let's talk about all the options and all the possibilities and make it to where nobody feels left out. Nobody feels intimidated or whatnot. But before the Hayes County Club existed, the Austin Area Club used to refer to Travis County as, oh, those are the top bar people. Because the former president <laughs> of the club was a huge top bar advocate. That's all she talked about was top bar. And, and so they were like, oh, those are the top bar people, you know. So even even in an area where there are a lot of people that do it, you can still have some of that either, not disdain, but sometimes it sounds that way, you know, but, but that, that cautious, well, you, you should just stick with this traditional, this is what we all do. That doesn't necessarily mean that's what the right thing is, but it does happen. Well, but for a top bar, for somebody that's just getting into it and take this and because... I see which ones would be easier. The top bar, you're going to have less money in it. No. Yeah, less money in the, the top bar, the hive itself. And in the long but run. But then in the yeah. long run, when you go to doing the extracting, you just cut the cut the comb off, crush it a little bit, put it into a five-gallon bucket full of holes, Honey drips out. You can run it through a filter if you want to as it's dripping out, and then put it in another pot and something else, and then bottle it up. Yeah, you can you can definitely save money in the long run mm -hmm. whenever you go through and do that. Um, the top bar the top bar is more economical for many many reasons. Uh, go back and take a listen to. I'm, I'm sure you already have, but if you go back to one of the first few episodes and listen to the one that I believe was titled Choosing Your Hive Style, mm -hmm. How to Decide What Style of Hive to Have, go back and listen to that. And it does talk about the pros and cons of all the different ones in there. Um, you see, you're, you're laughing because you look over there and then you look at me and you grin and you laugh. No, I'm just and, watching myself move. That's oh, what it was. I was going to say. That's what I, I had to figure it out. I'm, I keep <laughs> looking. My, my coffee cup is empty. <laughs> And I keep stretching up in my chair, and I look out the window. Go get some coffee. Way down at the other end of this hangar is where the little cafeteria area is with the coffee. And it's a long way down there. Yeah. And so I'm thinking I'm just done with coffee for the day. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. I, this is like we're – no, we have enough trouble staying on topic and not running off. But today it's like every time there's a noise now after everything went black, we're like, what is that? What's going on? Who's over there? Uh, okay, so – 
So basically, to, to wrap this all up, she has one more question in here. Okay. But yes, absolutely, it could be a challenge. But at the same time, you know, do the research and stuff that you can online, do reading, listening to the podcast. We talk a lot about top bars and things like that. There are people, you know, maybe at some point, uh, you know, not not to put anybody in any type of position, but maybe at some point, you know, you and Lacey can can get together and have a powwow. She's kind of in your vicinity and, and yep. uh, does top bars as well. And so you may not necessarily be able to find somebody who's going to sell you a top bar nuke. You may have to start with a package and that or can, talk to Lacey. That can be a bit of a challenge in there, you know, because the the package itself, when you first try to get them started, it's, they they're not necessarily going to do what you want them to. They may build sideways. They may, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, there's challenges to packages, no matter what. But all in all, again, it is completely up to you. You could be somebody who lives where there's not any other beekeepers out there. We we've got a listener here that sent in questions on our last listener episode. And, you know, they were very thankful for the show because they feel like they're all by themselves because there's literally not anybody else around them that does beekeeping, period. And in that case, it doesn't matter if they have a top bar or a Langstroth. They're still going to have that same situation. So you just kind of make do and uh, find what you can where you can. But don't let that hold you back. If you feel strongly about one style of hive and you feel like that's your passion or you're more drawn to it, then go with that style. Don't let other people dictate, you know, oh, well, that's that's harder or that's not. Whatever you learn first is going to be what is more natural to you. So just follow your own desires and, and kind of go down that path. I think if you're... <laughs> Was but that, anyway, was that uh, ghost you keep looking at? I know. Uh, <laughs> if you're going to do it just for yourself, I would say. I don't know what that was. Don't die on me over there, Ken. Oh no, uh, I would go. <laughs> There's enough ghosts bar. in here, and just because it's just less, it's just less. It's less what you're going to have to do to extract honey and such as that. Now you can still cut the comb off of. If, well, depends. To get it out of the frames, your honey. Well, it depends on on what the frame is set up on. Yeah. But even if you have a, a foundation inside the Langstroth frame, but you don't necessarily have an extractor, you mm-hmm. can still do a crush and strain yeah, method. Yeah. You take take the yeah. hive tool that has the curved L part to it, mm-hmm. and you literally just rip all of the comb and honey and stuff off, off of the, the frame and down into a bucket. And then it, then from there, it's the same concept as the top bar. You do a crush and strain, and you get it out. So. I mean, that's what I keep saying, uh, you know, beekeeping yeah. is beekeeping. Yeah. You can really apply all of the principles to all of the different methods. Mm-hmm. What the nuance comes into in a frame with a foundation, be it wire or a solid plastic or a wax foundation, whatever, you can pick it up, you can turn it sideways, you can tilt it, you can spin it, you can do whatever you want. On a bar, you pick up that bar, you cannot tilt it because the comb will rip off Fall the bar. Off it. Yep. Now, if you take that same principle and you're like, well, that's a huge difference. Yes, it is. But you know what? If you have a Langstroth that is foundationless and has no wires in it, yep. and they start building a comb out, and you pick it up and you tilt that it frame, out. it's going to rip out because yep. it's only attached to the top. It's not attached anywhere else yet. Mm-hmm. So, again, all these things can apply all the way across the board. It all is just relative to your situation. So... Sue has one final part in here, okay. one final little thought. She says she's also worried about if she goes the route of top bar, the bars themselves melting off in the 90-degree summer heat. Are these valid concerns? What do you guys recommend? Well, 90-degree, I wouldn't worry so much about. Because <laughs> you get into hundreds, that's what we do. We had, well, you had uh, Kelly's. She had a... 
Hers, huh. hers basically overheated and died. The one top bar, and that was basically, I, I think it was it was a combination of multiple factors in there. The the entrance on it, mm-hmm. she so she got the one that you can buy the nineteen inch top bar from Man Lake, I believe. Yeah, and the entrance on the front. Sorry, the entrance is on the side, like on the end cap yeah. on the side. Yeah. And that's not how I build mine. That I don't feel like that gives good airflow. Mm-hmm. If you put the entrance on along the face or what you would call the front of the hive on mm-hmm. the long part of the hive, then the entrance acts more like a radiator where the air can come in and go between the combs. Mm-hmm. Whereas if it's coming in on the side, it's hitting a solid wall because it's hitting that first comb. Right. So that's number one. Number two, there were no air vents anywhere else in the colony. There wasn't any other openings anywhere for the air to flow all the Mm -hmm. way through. That'll help when you have a hot situation where they can vent things back out. Right. And then the roof on it was kind of like a, it's a, it's a corrugated plastic. Mm -hmm. Part of it though, almost reminds me a little bit of like the old school fiberglass where you could see like the, the mesh kind of knit together Mm -hmm. and it may have allowed more light to come through it which would have then heated up the bars. So you had all these multiple things going on, but her colony got super hot. The comb literally did fall off of the the bars in a couple of spots Mm -hmm. and stuck to the bottom. That happens in a top bar hive. That happens in nature. Mm -hmm. Uh, It doesn't necessarily, you know, dictate that it's that one thing. On your Langstroths, yes, you've got the foundation. It holds it rigid. It keeps it from, from falling apart. But... Your key things to keep in mind, if you are going to do a top bar, we're down here where we have, like uh, you you might have heard here on a few episodes back, we were talking about, we finally had our first cold snap where it dropped us down, quote unquote, it dropped us down into the 80s, took us out of 90s for the first time in 105 days yeah. out of the 90 degree yeah. range. Mm-hmm. In that 90 degree range, there's always 40 plus days that are over 100 degrees. And we're not talking, oh, it's 95 and you add the heat index. We're talking it's 103 yeah. and you add a heat index and then it's 110, 112. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I do top bars down here. Ken has top bars. He did have a couple of bars fall and they were mm-hmm. towards the back of the colony. But a lot of that can come from manipulation on our part, too. So when you have a top bar, number one, set it up in an area where it is going to get shade at least half of the day. And and that is the last half of the day. So in the morning, the sun hits it. As the day starts to warm up, shade starts encroaching on the hive. And then by midday and the whole rest of the evening, it is in the shade. That's the number one thing. That'll help out there. Number two... Make sure that you do always have a lid on the top of it, and then the sun cannot go through that lid. And if you can raise that lid up a little bit to where airflow can get underneath there, it'll help keep your bars a little bit cooler. Mm -hmm. Number three, never manage your top bar in the heat of the day or in the evening after the comb has had all day to sit there and get super hot. Mm -hmm. On top bars, you want to do your management first thing in the morning because they've had all night to cool and, and strengthen and solidify back up. To however they're going to be. I mean, it may still be 90 degrees in the morning when you wake up, but it's better than the 110 it was in the day. Yep. So check your top bars first thing in the morning. Don't tilt your bars. If you do, it can start to weaken it. And then as the heat of the day comes on, the weight of the comb could rip off the bar and fall. If a comb does fall, immediately clean it up. Don't leave it inside the colony. Get it out of there. Clean it up. Let the bees clean up anything that spilled. You know, get that wax out of there. So those are some challenges. Yes, those are valid concerns, but... Um, you do not get any hotter up there than we do down here. So I would not say, oh, no, you shouldn't do it because it might get warm a few days. Don't let that hinder you. Definitely, if you want to do the top bar again, go through and do the top bar. I'm not going to tell you no. Um, yeah, uh, there, there's there's a, there's maybe only two instances that if somebody said, oh, I want to do this style of hive, I'd be like, don't do that. Like for you specifically, Ken, if you In told Mason. me— 
If you told me you wanted to do, yeah, well, in Mason, if you wanted to put your hives out in Mason, yeah, that's fifty miles be, one way. Yeah, that's going to be one of those where you don't get out there, but maybe once a month, yeah. you can't check them, and then we're worried about cross combing. Mm-hmm. We're not worried about them being out in in nature. We're just worried about you're not checking them frequently enough. They could start cross combing. It could be a mess. So mm-hmm. that's why further away it's better to have a langstroth if you can't get to them as frequently yep but for you specifically ken if you were going to tell me that you wanted to do a war a hive i would tell you no and that's when it comes to that like we've talked about supering versus nadiring nadiring a war a hive all of the new boxes get added on the bottom which means every time you add a new box everything above it has to be lifted up and you were just talking about that one super that you tried to pick up in the last episode yeah. that you, you know, was like 60 pounds worth of yeah. capped honey. And you were like, man, that's heavy. Well, imagine you've got three boxes of that on the top plus your 180 box, pounds. And you got to pick all that up to put your new box on the bottom. Wow. That's crazy. That would be one of them, I would say, for you and your situation. No, yeah. don't do that. No. So there could be some some instances that would come up. But to your point, Sue, um, the questions that you've, you've posed here, I don't think that any of these are – they are valid concerns, but I don't think any of them are deal breakers or showstoppers. I think you would still be good to go. So definitely thank you so much for listening to the show and yep. for reaching out and sending us your comments and your questions. And hopefully, um, despite all of our distractions and, and paranoia on what's going on in the building around around us, <laughs> we managed to give you some hopefully decent information in there, interdispersed throughout that. <laughs> yep. Oh, let's see. Our next question. This one comes from Tanya. And technically, this, uh, we have had questions from Tanya, but they have come vicariously through other people. <laughs> namely Lacey, (laughs) whom we just mentioned earlier. So Tanya says, hi, John and Ken. And there's lots of exclamation points after that. Hattie. Hattie, huh? Hattie. (laughs) She says, I love your podcast and I'm learning a lot from you guys. I am Lacey's sister-in-law. And then in parentheses, please don't hold that against me. (laughs) Kinfolk. Kinfolk. She likes, uh, she has asked some questions on my behalf, but I've never actually written in myself. So this is my first time and now it's my turn. I have 27 bars. So bars, we're going with the top bar here. Okay. I have 27 bars that have comb on them. Man, she's gonna make us do math, Ken. She's feeding a bunch of bees. I mean, she wow. Well, okay, yeah. So her bees, her bees have done really well, and I don't know necessarily how long she's had this, but so she's got apparently from this one top bar hive. There's 30 total bars in that hive. The last three of them are empty, and that's where she's been putting her internal feeder. And then mm-hmm. the rest of the 27 bars have drawn comb on them. Yep. Now, as of Monday, and this is dated Monday, 10 uh, October 14th, I have five full bars of capped honey. One bar that is full on one side, but only a little bit on the other side. Uh, Is that weird? No. Five bars that have about two inches of capped honey. Two bars with liquid honey. I saw two bars with some larvae, but not much, which worries me. Don't be worried. Mm -mm. Two bars with lots of pollen, which uh, which we made a pollen feeder for them, and they finally found it. And then three bars with empty comb. Man, that's a lot of that's a lot of numbers. But thank you for breaking that down. I mean, that definitely gives a full <laughs> visual of everything in there. Um, she says one bar is janky, <laughs> janky? because janky. One bar is janky because it was the first bar with no real guide on it um, up towards the entrance. We did not really plan on them using it, but they built on it anyway. So all the rest of them are beautiful combs. All right, it's not freezing yet, but it is in the upper thirties at night here. 
south of Kansas City. We totally skipped the fall, which is kind of what I'm worried is going to happen to us down here as well, is we're going to go straight from 90 degrees to winter. Yep. But she said, um, we totally skipped the fall. Is it still okay to be giving them the sugar water? I've only been feeding them one quart of the two-to-one solution for the last two weeks. I was really hoping that they would have stored up more food with the first quart, but it seems that they are kind of uh, exactly the same, except a little bit of liquid honey. All right, so let me go back here real quick, and let's go back through these numbers real fast here. So she says five bars of capped honey. And then if you go on down through there, there's another bar, which is full on one side but not on the other. And then she's got bars of open liquid. And then she had some larva, but not a lot. So overall, you want to look at everything as that 50 to 50 ratio. Kind of estimate the amount of bees that are inside the colony. And you look over there and you say, well, I really have five bars of solid bees and things that are going on. And if you go back and you say that at the front of that, you had five full bars of capped honey. Well, there you go. It doesn't matter that the colony has 27 comb total. You're looking at the number of bees in equating over to the number of capped honey. In that situation, you're okay, they would be fine. Now, you also mentioned that there were several in there that have arcs of honey across the top. Mm-hmm. That's completely normal as well. Those are combs that used to have brood in them, and you're going to have your patch of brood is usually down towards the bottom of the comb. There's an arc of pollen above that, and then there's an arc of honey at the very top of the comb. Mm-hmm. That's how they set up each of the brood combs in a perfect situation. So those combs can be backfilled in with honey, Um, the open liquid that you talked about, they will eventually get that process down and that'll become capped food stores. So as far as when you can feed your sugar syrup, it's not the nighttime temperatures you want to worry about. It's the daytime temperatures. Once the daytime temperatures average 60 degrees or lower, you stop no more liquid food in there at that point. And that's because too much condensation is in there. They can't really go through, they can't dehydrate it down and that can cause issues inside the colony. So Your nighttime temperatures, I mean, it could be getting down to 30 degrees at night, but the daytime is still 75. You're still okay to be feeding. But once the daytime temperatures get down closer to 60, that's when you quit. You can continue feeding them. You can go through and you can give them two quarts. um, Since how it's kind of getting short on time, give them two quarts at once that have the two to one sugar syrup in there. Let them take it. Let them fill up those comb with the open liquid, and then they'll turn around. They'll process that down and, and get that capped for you. But all in all, it's looking like, you know, you're kind of coming up to a point where you're you're doing pretty good. If you want to do a little bit of manipulation to it, what I would do is as winter is is really approaching and coming into full swing there, take any of the combs that are completely empty. They have no liquid in them, they have no capped honey, they have no pollen, they have no larva, literally completely empty combs. If you have any of those, take them and move them to the very back. Put them at the very back of the colony so that your colony will go open cells, cells that have brood and larva and your pollen, then cells of open liquid, then capped honey, and then anything else that's just completely blank at the very back. Um, You do want to leave up towards the front of your brood cluster, towards the front of your colony. You do want to make sure that you have some open cells up there, though, because that, when they first form their cluster, that's what they're going to do. They're going to bury their heads in those open cells. Their little butts are going to be sticking out of the cells, and that's when they're going to start vibrating to generate heat, and the rest of the colony forms that cluster and sphere around those combs. So having the the open combs, say the first three or four comb at the front, are open, life stages, pollen, that's good. And then kind of moving on from there. But if you've got 27 frames 
bars, sorry, 27 bars, and maybe only 10 of them are like actively being used for some purpose, then have those 10 up to the front. Don't have it be, oh, this one's capped honey, and then there's three empty, and then this one's capped honey, and then there's three more empty. You want all the honey to be together, all the bees to be together, and then anything else that is excess can go towards the back. All right, so beyond that, she says, also, I think that I'm going to do a foam board for a windbreaker. My husband was thinking that my ba uh, uh, thinking of doing hay bales, but I didn't really want to mess with the potential mice problem that the hay bales could cause. We do have a periscope entrance. Um, there are three holes on each board. They are smaller than a nickel in size. She says, see picture, but there's actually not a picture attached to the email. Hey, send me that picture. <laughs> so... She does have the periscoping entrance, three holes on each side of the board. They are smaller than a nickel in size. I do think that this will help detour any critters from getting inside during the winter. But with that, though, I think that it's also hard for the bees to clean out any dead members. I have noticed that um, it's not easy for them to carry the dead bees out. And when I open up the hive, there's so much activity as they're trying to then pull the dead bees up and get them out of the colony. So, yes, um... If you, if you can, you could open it up a little bit and let them do some cleaning out. It, uh, she also mentions that she's gone through and she's had to scoop a bunch of them out before to help clean it out of there. But when I build my top bars, my entrance is down towards the bottom where they can literally drag something along and drag it straight out and drop it. They don't have to come up a ledge or anything like that. If they do have to get it up higher, what'll end up happening is if they can't make it up to the hole and they can't drop it out, they'll carry it to the very back of the hive and they'll pile things up in the back of the hive instead. So... You could give them just, you know, one afternoon when it's nice and sunny and warm, you could open it up a little bit if it's possible to allow them to drag things out and throw it out the bottom. If not, you may have to help kind of clean it up for them a little bit too. But that is one of the downsides to that periscope type entrance where they come in, go up, and then go in. It does help for robbing. It does help for predators and things like that, but it does make it harder for the bees to clean things out. And the final thing for winter, do you think that I should take out any of my empty combs and make the hive smaller or more condensed? adding an end cap to one side, perhaps? Or is it best to keep the full length with the empty comb? Well, I didn't realize that was in there, but I did talk about that. You can move the empty comb to the back. If you wanted to, you could take those combs out if they are literally just empty and not being used and they're in the far back of the hive. You could take them out of the hive, move that uh, partition or divider board up so that you can keep the heat kind of condensed to where they're at. There wouldn't necessarily be a problem with that, but you do want to replace those bars with other bars, because again, the bars make up the roof of the colony. So if you're going to take out five capped bars, or sorry, five bars of drawn comb, you want to put five empty bars back at the back of the hive so that you still have solid roof all the way across there. And then she says, also, if it was going to make uh, sugar patties, would I place them on the inside of the hive in the middle or at the end or after all the combs with the capped honey? Um, I know that they're going to go for the real food first, but where would I put a, a patty? So mainly in regards to the, the solid food, you don't want to have to use it if you don't need it. If you can come up with that 50-50 ratio of capped food stores, that is always the best. When it comes to the sugar patties and stuff, don't necessarily put it, I mean, it's going to be a trick. In a Langstroth, you would put it above all of the comb in like a separate little feeder petition, or you can do directly on top of the frames if you have like a little bit of a wax paper or a newspaper or something to kind of contain it. But in a top bar, it does become trickier. 
You could put a small sugar patty directly below them, or you could put it towards the back of the colony. They're only going to touch it when it warms up enough that they can then get over there to it and do something with it. But you don't want to encourage, you know, ants or anything else potentially getting in there either. So it can kind of be a trick. So right now, focus on getting as many capped frames of honey as you possibly can or cap sugar syrup in this case, as you possibly can before you make it towards the end of that. That would be the, the best goal there on all of that. Um, sorry, uh, that was my, I think my reading on this is, uh, <laughs> I found myself moving the phone back and forth going, man, that's a black, white text on a black background. My phone switched to dark mode. <clears throat> it's trying to, to emulate the building. It's in dark mode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we have one final one here we'll go through and do for today's episode. And this one comes from Anne. And Anne says, I am a fourth year beekeeper, so I'm listening to your podcast hours every week. Thank you all for the great and useful tips that you guys share. Well, thank you for listening, yeah, thank Anne. thank you. And especially... Four years. Yeah, that's a great compliment yeah. for a four-year beekeeper yeah. to be enjoying our, our year one podcast. Mm-hmm. So we definitely appreciate that. Now, this subject here that Anne goes into, this one is a little bit different. And we are doing a little bit of research on this because this okay. one kind of caught me off guard. So... She says, I was crushed to find out that Texas A&M is not doing varietal pollen in honey analysis testing anymore. There have been no explanations and no responses as to why. Oh, they're not checking the pollen to see what's in the honey. I really want to know the main source of my honey so that I can label it as it has been tested and that it is, you know, X amount of percent of this. Where else could I possibly send samples? I heard that they can do this in Germany. Or is it basically just down to me getting a microscope and figuring out how to do this myself? Thank you very much, Annie in Oregon. So, Anne, Annie, um, you know, thank you very much again for your question. That did catch me off guard. I was not aware no. that A&M had stopped. And uh, Texas A&M up here in College Station is, you know, they had tested mine last year. That's where we got our test results mm-hmm. from that, that had that 60% of mesquite in there. Mm-hmm. So when I got that and I read it, I was like, What? So I turned around and I reached out to a couple of people to kind of figure out what was going on. What has happened at A&M specifically? The gentleman who has been doing it has been doing it for a very long time and he's getting up there in age and he has had some health issues and health concerns here recently. And he has been trying desperately to find somebody else within the organization that could take his place and could do that. But as of yet, he has been unable to do so. So that's the downside, and that's kind of what caused everything to come to a screeching halt, is it? it's just become overwhelming, and with some of the issues and things that he's been having health-wise, he's not able to keep up with it. So it, it finally ground to a halt there this year. And I know that there were some grad students in the past that were helping out, but they may have now moved on, and, and they're in other areas or doing other things, or no longer around. And so that's kind of made it difficult. So what I have done, and I do not have an answer for you specifically as where you can send it just yet, but I have reached out to some of the contacts and we are going through to see if we can come up with an answer for you. Um, I would really hate to think that Texas A&M was literally the only place in the United States. It could have been, but I would really hate to think that. I would hope that out of all the other universities out there, you know, Georgia has an amazing B program with the Georgia B Institute at oh, Young yeah. Harris, and there's other colleges right around there that also work in conjunction with them. Um, there's, you know, major B programs in Florida. So my hope is that there is another university out there somewhere here in the United States that will be able to do this or that already is doing it. So I've reached out to some of my contacts and I'm waiting to hear back on the specifics as that. And once we get that information in, 
we will more than more than be happy to go through and share that with you and let you know kind of you know where you can direct that to and then we'll all know so if we're interested and we're curious we'll know hopefully there's somewhere here closer to home where we can send that stuff to but Hopefully we'll have an answer here for you shortly, and as soon as we get that, I will I'll respond back to your email with that information as well, and we'll put it on the show for everybody to know. But thank you very much. That was a great question, and and uh, you you always tell them send something in that'll stump me. Well, that one stumped me. That one caught that's me a off good guard. One. So that's a good one. Uh, wow, I think that uh, that's just looking at emails. That's not going in and, and looking at any of the Instagram stuff or anything this week. But I'm gonna get you that, another uh, email. I'm gonna get you more emails. Oh gosh, here we go. Uh, Anybody look use? Over there. What is that? I don't know. I'm asleep. Seracel. Uh, I, I was really hoping that would throw you off of your subject, but anyhow, Seracel. Seracel feeders, top feeders. Any of y'all using them out there? We, I have just found them, and supposedly no bees get killed in them. So I have I have seen them, mm-hmm. and you ordered some of them for us. Oh, so okay. I got you, you one out. Yep, in the truck. you've got one out there, so we can go through and use it now. For everybody else that is kind of just listening to this, your normal top feeders, there, there's several varieties. So Brushy Mountain makes one that is two individual troughs, and each of those troughs have a floating tray mm-hmm. that as you fill them up with sugar, that tray floats up. Mm-hmm. And the bees come up this channel all the way down the center, and then it's just open. Mm-hmm. So they come up through this open center and then they get onto those trays and they can drink. Now, if there's robbing issues or anything else, or if the tray starts to sink, the those styles of feeders have been known to drown bees. So that's that's number one. Then there's other style of feeders. Uh, Man Lake makes one where it is the same kind of concept. You have two individual troughs on either side and you've got this opening down the center, mm-hmm. but they have the hardware cloth or hell screen the wire that is rigid and stiff but small enough openings that the bees can't actually fit through it and that goes over the top and curves down and comes into the bottom of those trays and what it ends up doing is it makes it to where the bees can come up the center they can either walk down the edge that's it's kind of almost like a texturized right. or ribbed edge mm-hmm. they can walk down that or they can walk on the screen itself drink from the water level and then go back into the colony those do better about not killing bees but they're not so great at if your hive is tilted in any way whatsoever, yeah. all of the sugar could be running to one side or the other where the bees can't get to it. And then you just end up having stagnant fermented sugar up there that could attract ants or other things. Now, the Cirocell that you're referring to, these specifically, the interior lining of them is blue. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of one of the defining features. They look a lot like the black interior ones from Man Lake, but instead of being one open trough all the way down the center, it's more of an open central piece that has a a lid type thing that'll snap over it. And that does the same effect where the bees can come up through the center. They can either walk on the ribbed edges of the opening or they can walk on the rib edges of the snapped over cap and they can drink from there. But in addition to it, all four corners have the same concept where there's a piece snapped over them that's ribbed. Mm -hmm. So if your hive is tilted in any way and the liquid is all over in one corner, the bees can still get up into that corner, go down, drink from the sugar, and but it's designed to where the bees do not drown. They're never open to the open liquid. It comes in in little little areas where it can Mm -hmm. filter in, they can drink it, and then as the level goes, it just kind of almost gravity feeds into it. And... The other cool thing about it is that it's set up to where you can use it as a solid feeder if you needed to. And those corner pieces can be popped yep. out 
so that you can make it, you can modify it and morph it. You can pop out the centerpiece, you can pop out the corner pieces, and then you can put a solid food in there and the bees can then still come up through these, these openings, eat the solid food, and then bring it back down inside the colony. So that is, that is the whole makeup of it. Now, these are designed and built in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And there's a gentleman over here in the United States who has kind of contracted with them, and he brought in several huge container loads yep. of these, and, and he's sell, almost completely sold out. Yeah, he's he's done really well. So Ken had a conversation with him, and he has Ken's purchased four of them. He had mm-hmm. three for himself and one for me. So we're going to go through, we're going to put them into use, and we'll let you guys know, do they really work the way that they have been advertised to? I actually, I'm really excited for them. I, I think, I think the way the design looks, the way that everything does, the logic to it, Makes perfect sense. Then and there's an, uh, another one, it, it kind of on the same principle as the Cerasel. Oh, you're talking about the one that Kelly it's has. It's the round rapid feeder. Yeah, the rapid feeder was designed for the flow hive. They were designed for the flow hive. It's a disc that inserts into the natural opening of your inner mm-hmm. cover or sets directly above it. And it does the same concept. The inner part of that disc is almost the same as the inner of the mm-hmm. Cerasil, where they come up through that opening, they come up into this little dome chamber yep. that snaps down over there, and it allows the bees to stand on those ribbed edges yep. and drink, but they cannot access the main volume mm-hmm. or the open space of the, the sugar syrup. Um, she uses those, and to my knowledge, she hasn't had any issues with them. They, they seem to work really well. So I think those are actually a good concept too, but the that is a thing that you have to put inside your hive. So yeah, you'll, that's a extra boxes, extra yep. containers, because you're going to have mm-hmm. your your box with your bees, your inner cover. Then you would add this disc mm-hmm. feeder mm-hmm. to the top of the inner cover. Then you need to put an empty box over yep. that and then your lid to close it all off. Yep. The Cerasil is one of the ones that's built into a medium box. Yes. And so you just add that entire box and yep. then all you do. close it up from there. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the, the concept. There is one thing, though... There's two ways to look at this. If you have an inner cover that has a top entrance, I would put that below and have that top entrance facing down and or pull your lid back to where you close it off. Yeah, I believe you're right. If you have an inner cover that does not have a top entrance, I would put it above. And the only reason for that is I have noticed on some feeders, specifically like the Man Lake feeders that have that black inner part, the feeder is a plastic tray that is then set down inside of a regular Langstroth box, a medium box. Mm -hmm. And that plastic tray is then like stapled and glued in. And the tray can warp and move and it may not set necessarily flush. So uh, one of the issues that like Pamela had said she had is bees managed to get in there into the top and she couldn't figure out how they were. She thought they were drowning from the inside, but they'd be in the outer portion, not inside that hell screen where they should have been. And I got to looking at it and I'm like, well, if things are not setting flush, They're coming in through the lid. They're Mm -hmm. getting up underneath the edges. So if you put that inner cover on the top or have an extra inner cover that you can put above the feeder and then put your lid on it, it will just help seal that up better Mm -hmm. so that hopefully nothing can get into it. But um, yeah, so that is actually for us. We have a very, very tiny little bit of time here that we can go through and we can test these out. But as next season starts coming in and late winter starts to fade out and spring starts to come in and we start building our colonies up and getting them strong for the spring flow, we will absolutely put these into use. We will talk more to you guys about them, and, and we'll uh, give you our thoughts on kind of how they work and how they go. I think it'll be good. I think it'll be fun to see. Yep. I'm excited to see it and, and try it, and I'm glad that there's a resource over here where, where we can go through and get that. So that's uh, yep. I'm going to get some of the round ones, too, just to try them. Yeah, of course you are. Uh, of course I am. Yeah, of course you are. 
and, Especially with and you're gonna put together one of them silly flow hives. One of these days, you're gonna get it done. Maybe, you gotta get it done. Even if I winter. have to go out there and build it for you, we'll get after it. It's uh, it's gotta be done because you know what I'm gonna do if I do that. What? Any of your you eight frame? No, no, no. Any of your eight frame hives? That's a that's a flow hive. An eight frame hive is a flow hive. I got a ten frame flow hive and an eight frame exactly. Flow hive. But so we're gonna put them to use, and all we'll do, we'll just have to stick the flow apparatus basically over the top of existing we'll Langstroth blocks. package bees in those. No, we won't. Well, unless you have a new. No. We're going to put it on one of your existing hives because you were supposed to build it a long time ago. Oh, okay. That was supposed that. to be a part of our year one project. Flow okay. hive, regular yeah. Langstroth, top bar. And that you worked. have been avoiding it like the plague. Yeah, I looked at all the pieces. I said, no. <laughs> nope, not doing it. Uh -uh. So we're going to go through. that. That's my plan. We're going to put one of them suckers together. Okay. And then we will either take all of the frames out of one of the existing colonies and move it into the flow box or we will end up putting the flow apparatus above one of the colony's medium boxes one way or so another. So we're going to make the flow box, the flow hive cheat. Well, I mean. I don't cheat. You lie, <laughs> lie, lie, lie. Mister, I've got a small warehouse full of drawn comb at this point, yeah, so I dude, can cheat. Yeah, i got 140-something of them <laughs> deep. <laughs> so we will we'll go through and do that because I want to be able to talk about extracting from the flow hive mm -hmm. next year okay. in our in our second year podcast. I want to okay. be able to talk about that. So, so yes, sir. Absolutely, we okay, are going we'll, to put we'll them put together. We'll put one together one of these days. <laughs> we, long. It's a winter project. When you can't go tinker with the bees, you can build things. I guarantee you that's a winter project. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we appreciate you tuning in for another episode of the Hive Jive here with us. And keep sending us those questions. You guys have heard it before, but for all you new listeners, we'll tell you again. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at The Hive Jive. You can find our website, thehivejive.com or thehivejivepodcast.com. Both of those will take you to the same place. Hopefully, there'll be some uh, some exciting changes over winter for our website. We'll add some more content and stuff in there for you. And then you can always send us emails to info at thehivejive.com. Mm -hmm. We're more than happy. You can send us instant messages through one of the Facebook or the Instagram platforms. You can send us emails. We're more than happy to go out there and talk to you guys about that stuff and answer your questions on the air. We'll even send your responses back sometimes, you know, directly on the app. Just depends on the time-sensitive issues that may occur there with that. But Again, we appreciate you guys so much. Thank you for tuning in. You have one more bonus episode coming up. And as you have heard multiple times, it is Scary Bee Stories. Yeah. That'll come out right. for you guys on Halloween. <laughs> and uh, who knows, if the the if the, the uh, studio goes dark again, it'll definitely set the mood. Or they go to beat and whatever it's beating out there. I was waiting to hear a boom there for a little while. I was like, uh-oh. I don't know what it is. But uh, enjoy, guys. Hopefully your, your October has gone well. Yep. Hopefully your bees are doing happy. You get happy bees. Happy bees. Happy bees. Happy bees. That's a song. It could be. Yep. Take happy feet and change it to happy bees. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Be good. Be good. Be, be, be there. How's that one? Be there. Be there. Yeah. Be here. Be there. Be safe. <laughs> be gone. <laughs> Y'all be good. Bye. <laughs> it's time for our guys to buzz off. But don't fret. The Hive Jive journey continues with new episodes Mondays every month. Until then, you can follow along with the guys on Facebook and Instagram at The Hive Jive. Thanks for listening and be safe out there.